BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Phil Itner, the uh, veteran war correspondent, American war correspondent, who is now living in Kiev, Ukraine, is going to give us an update on the situation in that country. Also, why do Republicans want more babies? And why do they want to put those babies to work? Well, you know, when they're not quite babies anymore, I'll tell you about that. This is actually two amazing stories and a crazy alert, although also a serious story. The Satanic Temple has opened a, an abortion clinic named after Sam Alito's mom, and they are planning on bringing this nationwide. It's fascinating. And also, Michelangelo Signorelli is going to drop by about the Pope's recent call to end the criminalization of homosexuality. But to start out, my op-ed that I published over at the Hartman Report, hartmanreport.com, is titled, Is SCOTUS About to Put Religion Over Civil Society? And uh, the answer is apparently yes. Uh, this is uh, absolutely fascinating. This is a new case, Groff versus DeJoy. Groff was a guy who worked for the post office. He, he had a, a part-time job uh, uh, with the post office. And it was one of these kind of fill-in and emergency kind of jobs. Uh, he knew that, you know, one of the conditions of his employment was that he may have to work Sundays. He, he told them he's a fundamentalist Christian and he doesn't want to work Sundays. They tried to work around it for months, but finally when, when uh, I think it was the Christmas holiday came, one of the holidays came and suddenly there was just so much mail and, and uh, the post office had a contract with, UP, or with uh, Amazon too. Uh, they had to have him work Sundays or they would have had to hire somebody else, which they didn't want to do. And at that point, he quit and sued the post office for religious discrimination. Now, back years ago, back in 1977, actually, uh, there was a case uh, decided by the United States Supreme Court. It was titled Trans World Airlines versus Hardison. And in that case, well, let me back up a little. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which was passed in 1964, says that employers cannot discriminate based on religion. But, and, and that they must provide, a, quote, reasonable accommodations in the workplace to people based on their religion. But they never defined what a reasonable accommodation is. What does that mean? Does that mean that if you've got a member of your, you know, a person who, who is an employee of yours who is offended that, uh, you know, one of, your, one of your other employees is wearing 
you know, a skirt that's too short that you should fire that uh, employee with a short skirt? Does it mean that if you've got somebody who's offended that somebody's wearing a, a Christian cross or a Star of David as a piece of jewelry that you have to fire them because somebody gets offended by? I mean, what does it mean? So this went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court concluded that uh, companies do in fact have to make accommodations for their religious employees, but only if the impact on the company, only if the impact of those, of those accommodations is what, they, what the Supreme Court referred to as de minimis, which is Latin for trivial. So yeah, we'll help out to the extent we can, but we're not going to incur expenses and we're not gonna ask other people to fill in for you just because you think that you, know, you wanna go to church uh, you know, three days a week or whatever. So this case, Groff versus DeJoy, is an attempt to overturn that Supreme Court decision. And the consensus among Supreme Court watchers, since it took four justices just to get the case heard, is that there are probably six justices in line for this. This will almost certainly uh, overturn uh, TWA uh, versus Hardison. So what does that mean? Well, it means, well, as I said, that, that you know, employers are just going to be subject to all kinds, and, and the government is, you know, the, the largest employer in the United States. About 20% of our entire GDP is government spending. I mean, I started this article, actually, talking about the call I got from Paul in Woodenville, who said, what's their end game? What, what, what are they trying to turn America into? And I said, Pakistan. And then I did the research on Pakistan, and sure enough, in Pakistan, you've got women are under the equivalent of Sharia law. They have gutted their their equivalent of the IRS to the point that half of the tax collections from wealthy people in that country never get collected. The police enforce blasphemy laws, and uh, you know, and and abortion is illegal. There there is it is legal for the for the life of the mother, but even that's largely not enforced. It's a complete mess in Pakistan. Turns out. Turns out, I mean, I just said that kind of off the top of my head, but when I did the research, it was like, holy cow, they are trying to turn America to Pakistan. The average income, 94% of the people in Pakistan earn less than 10,000 US dollars a year and live in poverty. So, you know, this is where they want to take us, but in particular, they want to take us down this religious road. And so the piece that I put together today, and, and I hope it, uh, I hope you have an opportunity to read it because it's the sort of thing that you'll want to reference in the future. The next time some religious whack job uh, comes at you and says, oh, well, you know, Jefferson thought America was a Christian nation or Madison thought America was a Christian nation or George Washington was a good Christian. No, none of them were. <laughs> I mean, well, Madison was actually a Christian, but he didn't think America was a Christian nation. Jefferson and Washington were not even Christians. Uh, nor was Ben Franklin. I mean, all of them, or Ben Rush, or I mean, you know, Governor Morris. I mean, there's a, a whole list of the founders who had who had uh, repudiated Christianity, and they put together this country as a secular nation, and they were unambiguous about it. I think probably you know one of the one of the uh, best stories about that. Uh, well, Ben Franklin in, in his autobiography. And toward the mystery, he writes, I have found Christian dogma unintelligible. Early in life, I absented myself from Christian assembly. Uh, George Washington referred to, refused in, in 1799 when he left office. He refused to, uh, uh, actually he left office before that. Uh, he, he refused to acknowledge, he refused to say that he was a Christian. He was confronted with this and he, he refused to say it. The Treaty of Tripoli. 
which George Washington worked out and was signed by John Adams in 1797. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Right, this was signed by the second president of the United States. It was written by the first president of the United States. But I think one of the, one of the big ones is this, uh, this quote from, I, I've seen it now three or four times on, you know, flying by on Twitter and social media. It's, it's carved into the wall of the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. And it's, a, and Thomas Jefferson, this was in a letter to Ben Rush uh, that, that uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote. He said, I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny imposed upon the mind of men. Now, you know, that altar of God, that's like pretty much the only time Jefferson ever referenced God. But it's used by these Bible thumpers to say, see, Jefferson was a good Christian. So I think it's important to understand the context of that. So let me read you the actual letter from which that quote comes. This was a letter to a, a dear friend of his, Ben Rush, who was a, a, started out as an Orthodox Christian and ended up a deist and a Unitarian. And uh, Jefferson wrote, Dear Sir, I promised you a letter on Christianity, which I have not forgotten. I do not know that it would reconcile the genus irritable vatum, which is Latin for the angry priests, who are all in arms against me. Now, keep in mind, this was, this was two months before the election of 1800. He was running for president. He was elected president in 1800. He was running for president, and the, and the Christians were condemning him and telling people not to vote for him. That's what provoked this letter. So anyhow, he writes to Ben Rush. He said, their hostility, he's talking about the priests, he says, their hostility is on too interesting a ground to be softened. The delusion on the clause of the Constitution, he's talking about the First Amendment, which while it secured the freedom of the press, covered also the freedom of religion, has given to the clergy a very favorite hope of obtaining an establishment of a particular form of Christianity through the United States. And as every sect believes its own to be the only true one, everyone perhaps hoped for his own, but especially the Episcopalians and the Congregationalists. The returning good sense of our country and what he's talking about is the probability that he's going to be elected president because it was looking that way. He says, the returning good sense of our country threatens abortion to their hopes. And the preachers believe that any portion of power confided to me, such as being elected president, will be exerted in opposition to their schemes. And they believe rightly, for I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. But this is all they have to fear from me, and enough, too, in their opinion. End of quote. So there you have it. You know, the, the next time somebody tries to tell you that America is a Christian nation, that it was founded on Christian principles, that the founders were Christian, well, some of them were, but, but they were all, even the Christians among them, like James Madison, his first veto was to give federal money to a church to feed hungry poor people. And he said, no, this is a government function, and we do not want to establish the precedent of faith-based initiatives. We do not, it would be unconstitutional. It's a violation of our principles to give any government money to any church whatsoever for any purpose. And of course, that's all been blown up. George W. Bush and his faith-based initiatives. And now we've got, you know, the, the state of Arizona, every child in Arizona can go to a religious school with, with state money, uh, you know, on and on and on like this. I mean, this is, this is just 
it is, it, it's ahistoric. It's not true. You know, this, this assertion that, that uh, the founders would have wanted government money going to churches, it's wrong. And, and, and frankly, it, 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 it violates the principles on which this country was founded. And welcome back. Kathy in Lomita, California. Hey, Kathy, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I love your show, and I love all your beginnings and everything. And the reason why I'm calling is because I was really upset of a report that they had on MSNBC of how uh, Netanyahu is taking over the country and forcing uh, people on, on the left bank to move out of the, you know to move out of their territory, and, right. and you know it's causing bank. a lot of chaos. Yep. Yeah, and my my whole thing is, and this country is uh, supporting this, mm-hmm. <laughs> or people of this country are supporting yeah. this. Yeah. I think the biggest problem yeah. is that Netanyahu is trying to change the, the, the rules around the Supreme Court in, in uh, Israel. Um, I, I haven't from been... what I understand, from oh. what I understand, that he totally, uh, not got rid of it, but he you know, took away the power of the Supreme Court. Just yeah. so he could do this. Yeah, here, yeah, so here we, I, we pack the court. <laughs> there they change the, yeah, the rules for the court. <laughs> No, or they get rid of them, number, yeah. or number two. Yeah. And it's, you know, and so basically, you know, it's really scary that this is happening all around the world, and people are not realizing, and they're, you know, and they're going along and being complicit about this. And it's like, uh, it's, you know, it should be raising an alarm on people of what's really going on. And it's not only in the United States, but it's all over the place. I think that's probably the most important point here, Kathy, which is that the assault on democratic principles, on separation of powers, on the right of people to vote, on, on uh, the idea of a pluralistic democracy is not unique to any one country. It's certainly happening here in the United States. It's certainly happening in Israel. Um, uh, uh, Hungary is already way down that road. I would say that Hungary is a semi-fascist state now, the same for Turkey. Uh, you know, who are NATO allies. I mean, it's so many, (laughs) so many. And then you have China that the, you know, the, you know, is controlled. Yeah. yeah, Totally controlled. How many children they could have, you know, if they have more than children, what do they do with them? Do they kill them or do they get rid of them or what's going on? (laughs) Well, they've, China has ended their one child policy. Actually, they're now trying to encourage people to have children because they're concerned that they're going to end up with this demographic bulge where you're going to have a lot of people retiring and not enough people to take care of them, not enough young people to care for them. I, you know, I mean, they're, they're freaking out about this in a couple of countries. There's, there's several countries that are seeing their, their populations actually decline right now. And they tend to be, you know, right. the countries. Yeah, the, well, this is what happens. As countries get wealthier, um, uh, women choose not to have as many babies. I mean, you know, it's a, a, the, 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 the best population control in the world is creating a middle class. And China's middle class is now larger than the population of the entire United States. There's about 400 million people in China's middle class. We only have 340 million people here, period. And, and our middle right. class is only uh, 45% of us right now. So China's middle class is twice the size of our middle class. 
And, and, and people are falling. And you know what? You notice that people are slipping and falling out of the middle class, and they're trying to hold on for dear life because oh, yeah. they're coming up with all these different policies to drop them below the economy level. Yep. Uh, yeah, we've yeah. had a $50 trillion dollar transfer of wealth from, from the beginning of the Reagan administration to today out of the pockets of the bottom 90% into the money bins of the top 1%. Kathy, i got to run, but thank you for the call. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Picking up your calls, Alan in New York, New York. Hey, Alan, what's on your mind today? Tom, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. What's up? Uh, several years ago, the New York Times ran an editorial criticizing Hungary for its anti-Semitic stance. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much institutionalized at that point. Yep. Yet Hungary supports Israel worldwide politically. It also does business in Israel, and it has an embassy in Israel. And recently I read online that uh, Netanyahu and Hungary's prime minister, the so-called neo-fascist Viktor Orban, are very close friends. Mm. Yet I have never heard anybody in the media, and I don't listen to everybody, obviously, uh, report all this. And I'm wondering why. Did you know anything about it? I know that, you know, Orban, uh, here's a, a little bit of irony, Alan. Or George Soros, who is the, the quote, you know, the kind of international Jew, and I put that in scare quotes, that, that right. uh, Orban uh, likes, loves to trash and, and regularly trashes. Uh, he was Hungarian. Uh, Victor, uh, George Soros was born in Hungary. He's now an American. Um, George Soros paid for Viktor Orban to go to college. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, he's, he's got a fund in Hungary for, for Hungarian kids, you know, in memory of his growing up in Hungary to pay for them to go to mm -hmm. college. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. and Viktor Orban was one of the kids who went through that program, uh, you know, two decades ago. Um, but I didn't know that Orban knew Netanyahu. I don't know anything about that. Uh, you know, I, I do know that Orban, you know, uh, 
peddles in anti-Semitism, as as does right. his party. The Fidesz party is is you know big on hate anybody who's not you know white straight Christian. Um, mm -hmm. But that's news to me. But do you find it strange that this hypocrisy goes unreported? No, I think that uh, fascists like fascists, and I think that fascism trumps religion. Uh huh. But I, I'm saying that I, again. I don't cover everything, but even on the left, I, I don't see this being reported, being even yeah. mentioned. Yeah. And it, it's it's on the web. Where did you learn uh, this, Alan? Where Where did you see it? Online, I, f I forget the name of the w website, but what you need to do is Google it. Well, I just, guess just because something's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Okay, I mean, but you know, is, if you'd said the New York the Times or I, the Guardian, I'd take it a little more seriously. Because when, uh, for example, when Israel went into Gaza, not this time, but the previous mm -hmm. time, the European Union criticized it, except Hungary. Hungary withdrew from any criticism at all. Yeah. So that got me to thinking, and I did a little deeper uh, probing, and this is what I came up to. But you're yeah. right, it's not necessarily accurate. Well, and Orban but, might hate Muslims more than he hates Jews. <laughs> yeah, there's a hierarchy of hatred here. I don't know, Alan, but it's, a, it's an interesting question. Thank you for calling and raising. Brad in Topeka, Kansas. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, Harry. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just want to say that I, the economic and political aspects of the people having trying to have more children, I think there is absolutely a political um, correlation there because Elon Musk mentioned something about that a while ago, six months ago or so, about the mortality rate, people dying, more people dying and dying, and the, the human race is going to struggle to populate and um, procreate. And now Russia has recently signaled that. China has recently signaled that as well. Right. And I think it, it is a, something political because they're always trying to set the stage now that Trump is, is under all these investigations. I think they're worried that they are a dying breed and they know that. And so they're desperate and trying to set the stage for any sort of corruption that they can commit to keep themselves afloat, if you will. Yeah, more white babies is kind of the official slogan of the of the GOP. And that was the sales pitch back in, in the 80s that that uh, Republicans gave to evangelicals to get them to shift their position from being in favor of abortion rights to being opposed to abortion rights. And, and it worked. It absolutely worked. Brad, sure. thank you. Spot on. Spot on. I'm on the line with us is one of my most highly esteemed and respected colleagues, Michelangelo Signorelli, whose show follows mine right here on Sirius XM Progress. And you can read his work at his great Substack newsletter. I subscribe to it. It's, it's the Signorelli Report, S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E dot Substack dot com. So, Michelangelo, welcome back. Great to be with you, Tom. So, uh, there are a couple of stories I wanted to talk with you about. First of all, this remarkable comment by the Pope, I, I think it went beyond a comment, saying that it's time to end the criminalization of homosexuality around the world. I used to work in Uganda, and uh, I was horrified when that country, uh, you know, when, when right-wing Republican politicians from America went over there and got them to literally make being gay an executable, a death penalty crime some years ago. And, but uh, the Pope is saying, no, let's stop this stuff. Tell us about this. Well, Pope Francis, I think everybody knows, 
came in with a different set of priorities than the previous pope, who was focused on abortion and uh, homosexuality and, you know, doing what they could to uh, rout out gays from the priesthood and uh, all of these other very right-wing and extreme ideologies that comport well with the Republican Party in this country. And, of course, it's where the Catholic uh, bishops, the American Catholic Church, is. They are aligned with the Christian nationalists uh, in the evangelical movement, and they're aligned with the Republican Party. They support these don't-say-gay laws. They have been supportive of discrimination against um, LGBT people for years and certainly oppose gay marriage, even opposed President Biden signing the Respect for Marriage Act. And this pope came in with priorities of taking on poverty and helping immigrants and taking on climate change and trying to soften some of these other uh, places where the church has been uh, very uh, right wing. And of course, um, one of those areas is homosexuality and uh, gay rights and gay equality. So he's he's tried to do what he could within the confines of church doctrine, which only the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith within the Vatican can interpret. And it was Benedict, previously Cardinal Ratzinger, who had interpreted homosexuality as intrinsically disordered back in the 1980s. And, you know, to change that and to change a lot of things, you have to have that Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith kind of work on it and come up with drafts and make changes and Mm -hmm. do what they can. And that's not something the Pope can do, but he can decide what he's going to talk about, what he's going to focus on. He can also appoint people within the church who will, after him, uh, and maybe even after the next Pope, if he gets a chance to have an impact on who the next Pope is, he can make sure that he can appoint people who will make sure these changes are made in the doctrine of the church. Uh, and, and that's probably a long-term process. Um, it's an interesting, you know, kind of monarchy, the theocracy, the Catholic Church, because the Pope can appoint people who, you know, it's not a, it's not a monarchy by succession where his children become the next king. Right. He can appoint people who will replace him and try to change the church. So he's doing that, but in the meantime, the Vatican is a political institution. It is a country. It's at the United Nations. It has impact, as you said, on other governments. And he is doing what he can to uh, pressure governments. And it was pretty uh, amazing that he came out and said countries now need to um, end criminalization of homosexuality. The 67 countries around the world that do criminalize it, and some of them punishable by death, and that the bishops need to uh, be out front in this, and he said they need a conversion if they don't believe in this, <laughs> that they need to change. Hmm. That was a big political statement from him, and uh, I, I think a good one. Yeah, I've also worked in the Philippines. This was decades ago when uh, Rodrigo Duterte took over. He was not only killing people for dealing drugs, he, he was also using a lot of anti-gay rhetoric. I don't know the status of the law in the Philippines. But do you think that the Pope's words are actually going to have an impact? And it sounds like, you know, kind of like the Pope is the president and this group of the faith. I forget the phrase you used. That's like the legislature. The president can kind of jawbone the legislature, but he can't pass the laws. So, you know, is this going to be turned into official Catholic doctrine? Or is that what you meant when you said maybe even the Pope after the next Pope? 
Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen while he is pope. I think, you know, his main goal now is to replace a lot of these people, both inside the Vatican, who are very much at the forefront of these various organizations in the Vatican, including the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He's restructured it. He's replaced the ideologue who who ran it, but also replacing the bishops in key places, particularly in the American Church, which is very right-wing, and he's replaced a number of bishops with people who are more in line with his kind of reforms. Mm -hmm. And he is probably feeling very comfortable about speaking out more now because he knows he has the backing of those people. The right-wingers still rant and rave, and he even said, let them them rant. In this AP interview that he gave, Mm -hmm. he said, you know, let them rant. I'd rather they're speaking and saying it to my face because he's better than them working silently behind my back. But he's... You know, he, and he says, look, it's their speech. Let them do it. I, I think he feels more comfortable letting them rant because it's it's kind of they're they're on the losing end of a of a battle that will go on. And hopefully he will have a hand in choosing a successor because of the people he appoints who choose uh, who's more in line with his thinking. In the meantime, he can he can speak out as a head of state. And that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, you know, I, I, this pope has given me, uh, you know, a, a renewed interest and, and fascination with the church, uh, I, I, with the Catholic Church. I, um, you know, never much thought about it before that, but or, or I was a little kind of put off by some of their hardcore right-wing positions, particularly the, the bishops here in the United States when they would get into politics. That always uh, kind of flipped me out. There's another study. This is from the Williams Institute at UCLA School of Law that says down in Florida. Now we, we've got another politician who is, you know, beating up on gay people or just the whole spectrum, uh, gay, lesbians, trans, Ron DeSantis. And 60% of LGBTQ parents are publicly stating that they're actively considering leaving Florida, 20% actively in the process of moving out of Florida. It seems like America is self-segregating, not just along racial lines, but along, you know, political, philosophical, and even, even you know, lines that have to do with uh, toler- tolerance, I guess would be the best way to say it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you, what you know about this and what your thoughts are on this. You know, it, it's almost like an ethnic cleansing, right? He, mm. He's driving them out. <laughs> he's probably wanting them to leave, and the right-wing forces there probably want it to be a hostile environment for uh, gay people, certainly for transgender people, people who have children who are transgender, who want to give them gender-affirming care. It's it's all in the service of feeding the Republican base, which is increasingly radicalized around these issues. Uh, I don't know if you saw that video that Donald Trump put out the other day, but it was just like horrendous, in which he just like attacked transgender people in the most vicious ways and was using language like that I don't even think Donald Trump knew three days before he made the video about gender-affirming care and all of this. Mm-hmm. He apparently... When he gave his speech in New Hampshire uh, last weekend, whatever the crowd applauded the most at, his team made a video pushing those issues, and one of them was the attacks on transgender people. So I, I think you're going to see more of this, and particularly as DeSantis and Trump are battling it out um, for that nomination for the presidency. Yeah, my sense is that 
Americans are becoming uh, less bigoted and more tolerant. Um, although, you know, we, we have these downs, down points, um, but that this might be, uh, generationally speaking, I mean, you know, looking at like 10, 15 year periods, um, this might be the last gasp of, of hatred as a successful political ploy. Uh, what say you? Well, I think you're absolutely right that certainly Gen Z and every generation that that's come along, and as you get to Gen Z, you're seeing widespread support uh, for uh, equal rights and certainly uh, abortion rights and uh, LGBTQ rights and racial diversity. And yes, it, it is um, enormous progress when you look at the polls. You know as well as I do, though, that this country is not um, set up in a way that allows for the majority of the people's opinions to actually become policy. Yeah. Because we have the Senate structured the way we do, because we have gerrymandering, because we have voter suppression. And so they are continuing to rule from the minority. And, and these issues are the issues that they feel will get every last one of their base out to vote in every gerrymandered district, in every state where, that has two senators, but, you know, very few people, right, uh, mm -hmm. to elect senator. I mean, you know how it works. So they will continue that. Now, how long can that work for them? I don't know. Uh, it's working right now, and we'll see how far it goes. Yeah, there you go. Well, you and I keep fighting the good fight, Michelangelo. Absolutely, Tom. Every day you're doing it, and I admire your incredible output. You're amazing. Back at you. Back at you, my brother. Michelangelo Signorelli, you can hear his show right after mine, right here on Sirius uh, XM Progress, Channel 127, 3 to 6 p.m., uh, Monday through Friday. And check out his Substack, Signorelli Report. Thank you, Michelangelo. Thank you, this Tom. Great talking. Tom Hartman program. We'll be right back with uh, more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. Susan in Seattle. Hey, Susan, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's on your mind today? Hi, thanks. Um, I'm calling about the early days of the, uh, of the founding of the country and the religious freedom idea. And just by the way, a little preface, I always started out life as a, a deist, as a universalist, and my mother switched us over, leaving what the, the paternal side did. To high Anglicanism, which freaked out my uh, universalist family, who thought it was a 
horrible that yeah. we were genuflecting and what have you. I'm just calling to say that I recently learned about Haim Solomon of Philadelphia and New York, who was a, a an important funder of the Revolutionary War. And was Jewish. And Yeah, it was Jewish. And there were a number of Jews who had come here for, seeking religious freedom. And there was an important letter from the congregation in Providence, I believe, that to George Washington, and he went and visited him. And they, they demanded religious freedom for what, what their contribution. And that is just never taught. And I, mm-hmm. I thought it was really important and interesting. Like I said, I just learned about it. Yeah. That's yeah. all. I just wanted to add that. Well, that's a good point. I, 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 I remember reading about that years ago. It's Haim, right? H-A-I-M? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Haim. So. Maybe H-A-Y-M yeah. or something. Yeah. And Solomon, I think. Yeah, yeah. Solomon, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew that I, I should have included that in my article yesterday, although the article is like 4,000 words. It's, it's, it's like a chapter of a book, you know, um, it's really, well, actually it is a chapter of a book. I, I pulled that, uh, I, I, I wrote the, the Jefferson part of it, well, the, all the founders part of it, uh, uh, months ago and, and put it into uh, the hidden history of American democracy, which is the next book that will be coming out this summer. Um, but, oh, uh, can you add, you should add something on this part. I thought yeah, this was fascinating. I should. I need, yeah, I yeah. need to go check that out. Thank you for the reminder, Susan. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank Have you. a good day. Take you care. You too. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hey. Um, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? Um, I want to touch on something that's local here that I've noticed in the last few days mm-hmm. and then move on to something else I'd like to address with you. Right, we got and a minute is, and four uh, seconds. Huh? We have a minute and f- two seconds. So oh, go okay, for cool, cool. Um, I'll just get to it, and we'll deal with it. You can all listen off the air. Um, I, I've seen a White Lives Matter with a 333 that's been popping up, on painted on some guy's garage door. And then I saw the 333, which popped up uh, at another site here in town. And since... Uh, before the last election, a couple a year or so before the last election, these signs started popping up, pray country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somehow or another, these things are working together in this um, Trump world of... of uh, Sounds uh, like QAnon stuff. Well, self-imposed ignorance. It's, it's yeah. uh, people who think that religion and school and religion and government are okay. Right. Um, the, so... Um, I just wanted to touch on that. Oh, and this is the third state. Iowa is the third state to pass the publicly funded madrasas at seven thousand and something dollars per student uh, they can take to go to a, a, a religious school. Wow. Um, so I, I'll have to get back with you. I got to talk to you about that Biden and sixteen percent advantage okay. uh, trailer that you have. Sounds like a plan. Other time. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for the call. Uh, three, three, three. I got to now. I got to go Google that. We'll be right back. And welcome back, Marvin in Belvedere, Illinois. Hey, Marvin, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Well, there's various things, and I, I hope I think clearly enough. I'm uh, I'm pretty old. I'm like 80, 81. Good on you. I hope to get there too. <laughs> uh, well, as I told the lady who answered the phone now. Uh, I'm more conservative. You're obviously progressive, right? That's true. So yeah. what specifically do you I, want to talk about, Marvin? Well, like, uh, for example, you said that the debt, debt went up a whole bunch under Trump. I think you said that, didn't you? 
Uh, it was yeah. uh, it was under it was when Obama when they when they walked us up to the edge. Well, actually, our, our oh. the, the interest on our debt went up when when they when they tried it with Trump, but they backed down really quick because it was obviously it was hurting Trump. But when they did it with Obama, oh. they walked us right up to the edge of default, and it cost the the United States hundreds of billions of dollars. It cost our country a lot. Oh, well, maybe I misunderstood you. I yeah. thought you said the debt increased a lot. Oh, the, Trump. Donald Trump added $7.8 trillion to the national debt. Um, uh, about $2.5 trillion of that was, was his tax cuts, right. and uh, the rest okay. of it was just, you know, and, and about $2 trillion of it was actually stuff that I would not criticize him for. It was the spending around, you know, COVID. Um, but, but, to, but for Republicans, you know, well, the game that Republicans have been playing since, since the Reagan administration is uh, when our debt had been steadily going down. You know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt paid down part of our debt. Harry Truman paid down a lot of the debt. Eisenhower paid down the debt. Kennedy paid down the debt. Lyndon Johnson paid down the debt. Jerry Ford paid down the debt. Nixon paid down the debt. Um, all of these presidents, all the way up until Reagan, our debt was steadily going down. We, we, at the end of World War II, we were at 122% or 127% okay. of GDP. Okay. And then Reagan okay. reversed that, and our debt has been going up ever since Reagan. And it's because of... Republican tax but, cuts. And, and what the Republicans but, do is they yell and scream about this when Democrats are in office, but they don't say a word about it when Republicans are in office. But it's going up now? Yeah, it's been going up ever since Biden. 1981. Okay. Well, you just seem to emphasize how bad Trump did. and uh, Well, it wouldn't have been going to... up if, if Reagan hadn't cut the top tax rate from 74% down to 25%. It wouldn't have been going up. And, and in fact... Okay. By this point in time, the national debt would have been paid off if we had continued on the trajectory we were on. That was that was followed by Democratic and Republican presidents: Eisenhower, Nixon, Ford. They all they all yeah. worked to pay down the debt. Yeah. It was Reagan yeah. who started us on this craziness, and and of course Trump doubled down on it. You know, Reagan cost us four or five trillion dollars. You know, in terms of his tax cuts, Bush added what four trillion dollars from his tax cuts. And then you got Trump with seven seven point eight trillion dollars. Am I making sense here, Marvin? Yeah, you're making sense, but uh, you, from my point of view, you seem awfully one sided. You well, I you don't seem to. I am a partisan. Biden. I, I, you know, I yeah, I will I tell you, I you know, know right both. up front. I'm I I I find that in the Democrats are more consistent with my political philosophy and my understanding of how the country would be best run. Uh, you know, I respect people who disagree with me, but but that's where I stand. Marvin, I got to run. We're, we're out of time. Thank you for the call. I'll pick up your calls in just a second, but I wanted to share two quick stories with you. The uh, We were talking about why do Republicans want more babies? Well, and I was saying because they can, you know, put them to work, you know, increase the labor force, decrease the competition for labor, decrease wages. It's all, you know, part of the plan. But now it's getting truly bizarre. In Idaho, State Representative Ron Mendive, I'm assuming it's, uh, it's M-E-N-D-I-V-E, maybe it's Mendive, uh, this week is uh, pitching a, the ultimate solution to deal with a labor shortage in Idaho. He says, and I quote, if we could just find a way for the students to work to earn credits for their school lunch, I don't think we'd see any of the waste we do in that program because it doesn't mean much. In other words, those low-income kids, you know, that right now get school lunches for free, make them work for it, right? But they can wash dishes. Come on, seven-year-olds can wash dishes. This is not a big deal, right? 
This is this is coming, by the way, from a man who has uh, promoted uh, hydroxychloroquine as a cure for uh, COVID-19, who says that uh, being a prostitute is uh, the same kind of choice as getting an abortion and uh, wants to strip school curriculums of any reference to climate change. Yes, he's definitely a Republican and 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 clearly a sellout and and uh, beyond that. Finally, this is actually a fascinating story. I mentioned the Satanic Temple. The Satanic Temple is, they've got 22 chapters around the United States. These are not people who are actually literally worshiping Satan. They tend to be skeptical of religion by and large, at least from the ones that have been on this program. But they're opening a new health clinic in New Mexico. They're claiming that abortion is a ritual of their religion and therefore they are protected by the Supreme Court. And so they're offering free religious medication abortion. Now they, you know, they take donations. They've got a website that you can easily find it with, a, with the search engine. And they're taking donations for this to provide women with free abortion pills through this clinic. And the name of the clinic is and I'm not making this up, the name of the clinic is the Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic. Ha! <laughs> it's amazing. And now they are also, they, they uh, say the, the New, New Mexico facility will be operated by licensed medical staff, will make its services available to state residents who are at least 17 years old and up to 11 weeks pregnant and medically eligible for an abortion. And uh, they note from their press release Plans are already underway to launch clinics in several more states, including those where religious abortion practice is banned. So you can imagine this is going to end up before the Supreme Court. They're going to go into states where abortion is banned and they're going to say, no, no, you can't stop us because this is our religion. And the Supreme Court is, you know, as we mentioned yesterday, they're about to put the religious beliefs of employees above the need for employees to work uh, of employers. The uh, Satanic Temple's central argument in several pending lawsuits is to this effect right now. And members' participation in the religious abortion ritual is exempt from state and federal re regulations and restrictions, and bans are an essential part of religious practice, uh, are unconstitutional, and a violation of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So stay tuned. We should, we should get the Satanic Temple back on the show. It's been a while, and they're doing some just great work here. So picking up your phone calls, uh, Jerry in Kissimmee, Florida. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, I just wanted to mention about Florida since I'm here all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, just the Santis uh, update. Um, yesterday, uh, it could have been the day before he held the press conference at a school, and uh, he really said something offensive with his dog whistles. And I want to touch on one other thing. I hope you give me time to do that after sure. I tell you what it was. He stood up there and says, the state of Florida, I'm paraphrasing, you know, we're not going to use state taxpayer money to fund. Uh, we we want to study Western history. Uh, Western, Western civilization, study. yeah. Right, West, Western civilization and not the zombie civilization. So we know what he was saying. He might as well have just said black people are African-American studies are jungle studies. But his, through his polling, you know, his, everybody started clapping. Of course, the audience was all white. It's normal behind him. Sitting in the audience is never any 
uh, it's not a never diverse audience. He usually has a bunch of sheriffs or state troopers uh, or police behind him. Right, because he's a fascist. Um, all the time, all the time. Uh, so on that note, I just wanted to put out something that I don't understand, Tom, why the media is not you know, going after him on this. So he's also going after big time DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's what he used to go after Disney. He used that to go after the NHL. And I don't understand why this is being allowed. Diversity means the elderly. It means women, could be white women. It means Asians. It means Hispanics. It means people with all kinds of disability. That's what diversity means. Mm-hmm. Equity means that technically equality, that you're going to give everybody an opportunity, that there's like an equal playing field for, 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 for people to participate. And an inclusion means if you walk into a room, everybody should be included. So how is the head of a state government, can you stand there when over 60-some percent of the kids who get up in the morning and go to school in the state, they're not white, they're black, they're Hispanic, they're Asian, they're other, about 65 percent. So how can you say as the leader of a state, you're against diversity, you're against inclusion, you're you're, going to fight this, you're going to pass laws to stop it. How is the media letting this man say these things? In America, my my head explodes. Well, the media can't stop him from saying these things, Jerry, but uh, what his strategy is, is that he knows that between massive voter suppression, I mean, they they have been removing, they've removed literally millions of uh, people of color from the voting rolls in Florida over the last decade or so, number one. Number two, by parading black people in chains before television cameras for voting, um, he, between those two things, he's conv- he's not just convinced, he's actually been very successful at suppressing the black and Hispanic vote in Florida, uh, particularly the black vote, because most of the Hispanic vote in Florida is Cuban, and they tend to be Republicans. They tend to vote Republican. Um, so, number one, he knows that this isn't going to harm him electorally. Um, number two, uh, every single one of those three things, you know, diversity, well, he's whites only. You know, inclusion, uh, he's whites only. Uh, uh, what was the E? I forget the. What was the. Well, no, it's diversity, equity, equity and That's right. Uh, equity, whites you know, only white people should you know, own things. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a whites only strategy. And he's got, there's still enough white people in Florida to win this. I, you know, when that 65, if your numbers are accurate, if, if you know, 65% of two thirds of the kids in Florida right now are not white, you know, he's going to be in for a hell of a surprise. Well, not him, but the Republican Party in another five, 10, well, 10, 15 years, you know, when those kids get, get to be voting age. And that's why you've got Republicans uh, funding, major funding. I mean, millions, tens of millions of dollars of funding to, uh, to roll out Spanish language and Hispanic-oriented right-wing radio and television. But uh, this is, you know, you talk about race wars, this is one. This is absolutely what this is. Jerry, I need to move along, but thank you for the call.
Okay, so Phil Itner is with us, American veteran war correspondent living in Kiev, Ukraine right now. He's got a YouTube blog, a video blog that you can find at YouTube. His name is I-T-T-N-E-R, Philip with one L, one P. And also Philip Itner on Twitter. Phil, I was just checking out the CNN report that in one of these towns in Ukraine, not only did the Russians hit a residential area with missiles, but then they waited a couple of hours for all the rescuers to come to try to dig people out of the rubble, and then they hit them again with missiles to kill the rescuers. I mean, this is just a brutal terror campaign. How's everything going there in Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, Tom. It's out in a town called Kramatorsk, and I was actually just there two weeks ago, and we were, you know, constantly getting um, air raid sirens. So this is basically on the front lines. And what the Russians did was they chucked a very large, basically a Scud missile-sized uh, rocket at um, Kramatorsk. Uh, it, it has a really large warhead, and it blew up an apartment building, devastated an apartment building. And then when aid workers went in to start digging people out, they got hit with two separate other missiles. Um, and you're right, Tom, it reminds me very much of my days in Baghdad when the uh, forerunners to ISIS um, formulated this technique where they would blow up a car, there would be an IED in a, in a car, and then when people came to help the wounded or whatever, they would have other cars also rigged to explode. And that just made people reluctant to go and help people. And it's, it is a terror um, strategy. It, there's nothing, there's no way to uh, phrase it in other ways. It's clearly intended to strike against civilians, clearly intended to uh, sow terror and uh, and basically to to just make the people of Ukraine suffer. There's no justification for what they did. Yeah. So how is how is life in Kiev right now and, and what's on your radar screen? There's lots going on. We had a, a very major uh, a visitation by uh, uh, European Union leaders uh, after this announcement of a lot of weapons coming this way from the European Union. But, uh, Tom, what's really looming above uh, everyone's heads is the idea that there are literally hundreds of thousands of Russian conscript soldiers who probably were not very well trained, but their sheer numbers are significant, uh, that are ready to launch an offensive. Uh, and we do anticipate somewhere between three to 500,000 is some, you know, the higher end estimates uh, we heard from the Ukrainian defense ministry, um, the Russians themselves are saying 300,000 just crashing on Ukrainian positions out in the east. Uh, it's going to, this is going to be a very difficult year. This is the wall uh, of meat strategy. It, it it is it's just throw it's the it's Russian military doctrine is to soften things up with artillery and then just throw one of the resources that they definitely have, which is lives, uh, at at a, a position. And the Ukrainians are preparing for that, and they will inflict massive casualties on the Russians. But it, it, are the numbers such? that the Russians will overwhelm those positions. And that's a that's a sincere concern here in Ukraine. But having said that, Tom, I have to reiterate, I have to make the point that I have traveled in many different cities in Ukraine uh, since the beginning of this war. And many of these cities are now fortresses. They are they are 
absolutely uh, everything has got sandbags. Everything's got taint traps. People are preparing. You know, if they are called upon, they are prepared to fight. We even with the hundreds of thousands of conscripts uh, who basically are just given an AK-47. You know, this is how you shoot it. Now go. Um, that they're not going to be able to take the cities. They will be bogged down in places like Kharkiv. If they want to go for Odessa, they'll be bogged down there. If they want to go and cross the river at Dnipropetrovsk or Dnipro, they will be bogged down there. It is highly unlikely, in my estimation, that they will be able to um, uh, do make a proper assault on the capital. And that's really, until they take the capital, um, the, the, they're not going to be able to take Ukraine. Now, they could try a feint from Belarus and come in from the uh, basically charge down in, the, in a southeasterly direction, but they're still going to have massive problems there. The, the entire society in Ukraine is mobilized, and even with the hundreds of thousands that they expect to, to see coming, they won't be able to take territory in any kind of blitzkrieg swift fashion. But what it does mean is that a lot of Russian soldiers are going to die, and a lot of Russian and a lot of Ukrainian soldiers and Ukrainian civilians are going to die. 2023, I will warn your audience, is going to be a graphically disturbing year. And they're doing this in an effort to make us um, split. They're doing this uh, to, to make divisions within uh, society, within the, the NATO alliance, all these sort of things break apart because it's going to be distressing to watch. And there will be very vocal calls to finish this war no matter what. Mm -hmm. And while I sympathize with that, you know, the, the, that is what the Russian intention is. And then once they can slice off a little bit of Ukraine and kind of maybe come to some sort of sort of negotiation in 10 or 20 years time, they'll just keep coming. So the feeling here, the general sentiment amongst Ukrainians is we want this war to end. God knows we want this war to end. Nobody wants this war to end more than the people in this country, but it can't be won with Russia having seen to gain an advantage because they will just come back. Right. Moldova is next and then Poland and then yeah. Lithuania and Latvia. Yeah. Phil Itner, you can find his video blogs over on YouTube. P-H-I-L-I-P-I-T-T-N-E-R. Thanks, Phil. Stay safe. Ray in Woodstock, New York. Hey, Ray, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? Thank Good. you so much. I wanted to bring to your attention that, uh, well, I'm a transgender person. My name is Rachel, actually. Okay. And, uh, Donald Trump, you were saying that he's not using Facebook and he's not using Twitter. Well, I wanted to bring to your attention that he is all over TikTok. It oh, really? was frightening. He was saying that uh, when I become president again, the only genders there's going to be is what you're born with. If you're male or female, and that's going to be it. And any of these doctors that uh, provide hormone treatment blockers for enmangling our society. I'm going to have them arrested. I'm going to prosecute the parents. Holy and God. I was like, oh my God, I just couldn't believe what was coming out of this guy's mouth. Yeah. I'm horrified that Facebook and Twitter let him back on and, and, uh, well, he's not on there. He's not using them. Not he's yet. using TikTok. Yeah. But yeah. And TikTok is huge uh, with young people. That's, that's really bad news. Ray, uh, thanks. Well, Go ahead. Uh, the other thing is, like, uh, do you know how many of these kids get bullied already and oh, yeah. how hard of a life they already have? Yeah. 
Well, that's like, that's why he's picking this guy, on. This guy is he is so misinformed. He is uneducated. He just doesn't. I don't think he his ideology when he banned transgender people in the military. His ideology and thinking is that they're all going to want hormone treatments and they're going to want paid sex changes. They don't care about anything like that. Mm. They're happy just being them. Yeah. There you go, Ray. There you go. You know, bullies always look for the most defenseless, the weakest that they can attack. And trans people are a minority within a minority. And so that's the perfect target for these bullies. Ray, thank you. Thank you for sharing that story with us. And, and, and thank you for calling. Uh, Charles in Chicago. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? I wanted to reflect on the strategy of Governor DeSantis and the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. The 13th Amendment and the Ku Klux Klan were both instituted within the same year. A lot of people don't realize that the Ku Klux Klan started off as an economic situation where there were so many black people down south that were working. But once they became voters, they would outnumber the actual white. Oh, they took over the South Carolina legislature. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's divide and conquer. I mean, it's the oldest political and military strategy in the book. I mean, Lao Tzu, or, you know, Napoleon. I mean, divide and conquer. That's that's what they're doing. And, and they're doing it by trashing people who are not wealthy and powerful, which is just such a tragedy. Charles, thank you for that very well put point. Michelle in Chicago. Hey, Michelle, what's up? Hi, Tom. Uh, two things. Marvin was trying to get you to talk about the, the reversing of the de- of the uh, deficit by de- Democrats, mm-hmm. Democratic presidents c- compared to the Republicans. And then the other thing is, and it might be old news, but DeSantis has appointed conservative members of the Florida College, the new college. Right. Yeah, they've taken it over. And this is this is a big progressive college in Florida. I, you know, absolutely. Michelle, I'm sorry, we're out of time, but thank you for, for making those points. They're, they're very important points. Thank you very much. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport, as Bernie and, and President Obama used to regularly say, both of them. It ain't a spectator sport. You got, you've got to participate. You must, my mother always used to say, never say God. Um, you have to participate. <laughs> So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. All right, there's a lot we can do. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.